Throughout the history of Christianity, there have been occasional periods of revival, resurgence in church activity accompanied by mass conversions and an influx of new believers into congregations. A number of smaller revivals confined to one or two municipalities took place in the Welsh church throughout the 19th century, at least five between 1859 and 1900. However, what was termed the Third Great Revival, the first two taking place in the 1790s and in 1859, began in February 1904 with some meetings arranged by a new Quay minister named Joseph Jenkins. Welsh newspapers helped spread the word of the revival, and by its end, a year later, it had resulted in over 100,000 conversions. Ten years later, Welsh author Arthur Machen was to write a story called The Great Return, which was loosely based on the revival, and more specifically, the following story. This is episode 26, The Lights of Capel Egrin. Machen once wrote that strange things are lost and forgotten in obscure corners of the newspaper. Welcome to Forgotten Darkness, a podcast that will aim to prove that that statement is true. In December 1904, in the last few months of the Third Great Revival as described in the intro, a 36-year-old farm woman named Mary Jones began preaching in the little, in the little church, or chapel, in the village of Egrin, which today is located along with A496, just south of Taliban, in the northern Welsh county of Gwynedd. Mrs. Jones had been born again in the midst of a deep depression, following the deaths of both her son and her sister in quick succession. She often referred to her conversion as the light, or her star, for reasons that were possibly more literal and figurative. Beriah G. Evans, who chronicled much of the tale of Mrs. Jones's activities, described the following events, which took place on the night of December 5, 1904. The star appeared on the night when her mission actually commenced, and following the night of her vision. It was preceded by a luminous arch like a misty rainbow, one end resting on the sea, the other on the mountaintop, and bathing in a soft effulgence the roof of the little chapel where she commenced her work that night. As a rule, the star, one of unusual brilliance and magnitude, appears in the near southern heavens, and vanishes when appear the weird lights which follow, precede, or accompany her on her journeys and without which she never starts on a mission. She speaks of these as naturally as she would of any matter of everyday life. So does her 12-year-old daughter Annie, who has inherited in a marked degree her mother's recently discovered gift of prayer. 
She was. She also had a number of religious visions aside from the lights, claiming encounters with angels and demons, as well as the supernatural lights. One particular visionary experience involved her seeing a man approaching up the lane toward her farm, thinking it was her brother. She began to sing a hymn to herself, and the man glared at her and changed into a black dog. It ran back and forth in the road in front of her. She thought it was the devil and began praying, and when she did so, the dog leapt and disappeared into a hillside. She saw these visions of the devil on several other occasions, on one occasion the vision actually being witnessed by a second individual. By the middle of December, she began preaching at the Capel Egrin, which was such a small church it didn't even have a permanently assigned priest and word began to spread around the area of her abilities, of both her charisma as a speaker, and of the strange phenomena which often accompanied her sermons. Most everyone in the village had been converted by Mrs. Jones's speeches. She claimed to receive psychic visions of who would be converted each night she spoke. As described by Hal E. Lewis, she gave many a striking incident of this fortnight's meetings, which I need not chronicle here. She made no reference to the signs until my friend and I asked her. She answered as simply as if she were speaking about the fire on the hearth that she had seen almost from the first, each evening a fire or light between her and the hills which rise from the marshy shore, a quickly vibrating light, as though full of eyes, so another described it. It had revealed to her what to expect at the meetings. One evening, she had interpreted the sign to mean four converts, but only three responded when the test was made in the, little, in the crowded little chapel. But there must be four, she said. No, there could not be. All the rest, except the three who had declared themselves that evening, were already members. But there ought to be four tonight, she repeated. No fourth could be found till the door of the little vestibule was opened, and one stood there halting between two opinions. The opening of the door and a kindly word of invitation brought the inquirer inside. The four were completed. Mrs. Jones further described the lights when she wrote Reverend A.T. Fryer, a member of the Society for Psychical Research, on January 16, 1905. I have seen the light every night from the beginning of the revival about six weeks ago. Sometimes it appears like a motor car lamp flashing and going out and injures nothing at all. Other times like two lamps and tongues of fire all around them going out in one place and lighting again in another place, far off sometimes, other times a quick flash and going out immediately. And when the fire goes out, a vapor of smoke comes in its place, also a rainbow of vapor and a very bright star. The lights were said to accompany Mrs. Jones at all times, whether on foot, driving in a car, or traveling by train to an engagement, as local journalist Beriah G. Evans wrote on February 10, 1905. In fact, he continued, such is her unbounded faith in these manifestations that she will not leave the house to fulfill a mission engagement until the lights appear. When they do, no domestic call, however urgent, no storm, however fierce, can prevent her obeying the summons. There are indeed evidences that the lights followed Mrs. Jones about. On March 13, 1905, a group of people set out from Thanbetter, making their way to Egrin. Present were Morris Jones driving Mary Jones, and behind, following on foot, were Mr. and Mrs. U. Jones and Reverend H. D. Jones. If you haven't guessed by now, 
Jones is a very common name in Wales. None of the individuals were related, well, aside from the husband and wife. At about 11pm, the mysterious light suddenly appeared above the roadway, a few yards in front of the car, around which it played and danced, sometimes in front, at other times behind Mrs. Jones's vehicle. When we reached the crossroads, where the road to Egrin makes a sharp turn to the left, the light, on reaching this point, instead of following the road we had traveled and going straight on, as might have been expected, at once turned and made its way in the direction of Egrin from the front of the car. Up to this point, it had been a single light, but after proceeding some distance on the Egrin road, it changed. A small red ball of fire appeared, around which danced two other attendant white lights. The red fireball remained stationary for some time, the other lights playing around it. A doctor from Tyler Town in the Ronda Valley, near Cardiff, claimed that on June 17, 1905, he saw a glowing sphere about the size of a cheese plate hovering over the Labanus Chapel, where Mary Jones was visiting. By examining closely the gas lamps in the area, he confirmed the light over the chapel was not one of these. For her part, Mrs. Jones also claimed to have seen the light at the same time, but it was within the chapel. A few weeks later, another light had been seen in that river valley in the area of Ponagwaith. The witness who corresponded with Reverend Fryer, as well as his wife, both witnessed the light. It appeared in the vicinity of Penrice on the night of May 25th and appeared to be, quote, a column of fire about two feet wide and several feet high, quite distinct and of the tint of a fiery vapor. After looking at the column for a second or two, then some bright brilliant balls would burst and disappear upwards. Then the column would disappear, but in a moment would appear again in the same form, in the very spot, and then the balls would appear in the column and the balls burst and disappear upwards in the same way. This we distinctly saw six times. The lights at Egrin also occasionally seem to be columns of flame. The lights also appeared in the Wrexham district, according to a Barmouth Advertiser report on April 20th. First, they appeared as flashes, similar to lightning strikes, in a Wrexham church, where Mary Jones was speaking. Mrs. Jones herself claimed to have taken notice of the lights, at the Argoid Farm near Pankasutha Aqueduct, Kevin Marr, and, F- and Frankasutha. These appeared once more as fiery spheres, and once as something that resembled electricity, but was certainly not sheet lightning. On March 25th, a light was again seen near Flonvire. The witness and his wife went to town, specially to see if the light accompanied Mrs. Jones, who was speaking at a church there. At around 9.15, the witnesses saw two red spherical lights ascending from the roof of the church. Later, at around 11 p.m., two more red lights rose from the church. Mrs. Jones passed the two on the road, and there appeared two lights, bluish in color. Those lights blinked out, and two identical lights appeared toward the seashore. But back in Egrin, Bariah G. Evans himself claimed to have seen the lights on numerous occasions during his investigations in the village. On one occasion, when near the railway lines to the west, he saw a giant white light in the form of an enormous star, but emitting from its surface dazzling sparklets like flashing rays from a diamond. A train was approaching from the south, but it was denied that this was the source of the light. Then Mrs. Jones, 
who was accompanying the little party of which Evans was a member, said, It is now that it comes. At that, a second light, very different in character from the first, was now perceptible at a distance below the star, both obviously rushing rapidly upon us. As the train drew near, the star disappeared. With a rush and a roar, the train was passed, but the tremulous sigh of relief at the disappearance of the star was hardly breathed before it reappeared nearer and, if possible, more brilliant than ever. Then it suddenly vanished. But the encounter was not done. In a moment, high upon the hillside, two miles away from where the star had been an instant previously, a light again flashed, illuminating the heather as though bathed in brilliant sunlight. Again it vanished, again to reappear a mile further north, eventually circling the valley in the direction for which we were bound. The lights were apparently selective and appeared to certain people, but not to others. This occurred in, in this instance when, after the departure of Mrs. Jones, a secondary display of arcs of light vanishing into the sea, as well as a subsequent sighting of the red light, was made by Evans, but not by the others in the company. The date is unclear, but another witness testified that at about 5 p.m. one evening in January, he saw an unusual light display on the road about half a mile from Cap Allegren. He saw a pillar of clear fire, quite perpendicular. It was about two feet wide and about three yards in height. Suddenly another small fire began by its side, some two yards distant from the first pillar, and increased rapidly until it assumed the same size and form as the other two pillars. So there were three pillars of the same size and form. And as I gazed upon them, I saw two arms of fire extending upwards from the top of each of the pillars. The three pillars and their arms assumed exactly the same shape and remained so for about a minute or two. As I looked to the sky, I saw smoke ascending from the pillars, and immediately they began to disappear. Their disappearance was equally swift with their growth. A reporter for the Daily Mirror claimed that, following Mrs. Jones's carriage home from a revival meeting one night, he saw an oval mass of gray, half open, disclosing within a kernel of white light. As I looked, it closed, and everything was once again in darkness. Mrs. Jones claimed that the light had enveloped her carriage, illuminating the entire interior. The same journalist, a short time later, saw the lights again, this time in Agron proper. It took the form of a bar of light, quite four feet wide, and of the most brilliant blue. It blazed out at me, from the roadway, within a few yards of the chapel. For half a moment, it lay across the road, and then extended itself up the wall on either side. It did not rise above the walls. As I watched, fascinated, a kind of quivering radiance flashed with lightning speed from one end of the bar to the other, and then the whole thing disappeared. On February 23rd, the Barmouth Advertiser reported that after one meeting, a gentleman saw a gigantic human figure rising over a hedgerow. Then a ball of fire appeared above, and a long ray of light pierced the figure, which vanished. A man walking in Egrin said that on the night of February 11th, he saw what appeared to be a ball of fire above the roof of the chapel. Then, continuing on the road in the direction of Barmouth, he had another sighting. Just after 10.30, I was startled by a flash on the dark hillside immediately on the left, and looking up, I saw I was comparatively close to one of the strange lights. 
It was about 300 feet up the hillside, and about 800 feet from where I stood. It shone out dazzlingly, not with a white brightness, but a deep yellow brightness. It looked like a solid bulb of light, six inches in diameter, and was tiring to look at. The Daily Mail sent a researcher named Bernard Redwood to Egrin to investigate. He concluded that Mrs. Jones was a religious maniac, and that, in view of the fact that Mrs. Jones solemnly stated to me that Venus, which was particularly brilliant at that period, was a new star, had only appeared since the revival, and was situated only a short distance above her house, I think we may dismiss these lights as fantasies of overwrought brains. He theorized they were simply will-o'-wisps, given further significance by the religious. The whole time period of the Welsh Revival saw a significant number of unexplained events. In one instance, there was poltergeist phenomena in a home where Mary Jones was staying. One woman claimed a number of visions, one evening seeing a house with three windows one night after praying. The same woman at other times saw it in the shape, in the shape of a chapel, and on one occasion as an eye, which broke in two, and the last two parts fell downwards, and joined again, and appeared in the form of a man. This last, interestingly, sounds similar to some of the luminous displays seen near Egrin. One of Mrs. Jones's converts had an experience where, walking home one night in December 1904, he was removed from the lanes of Wales to a mysterious wilderness. Here he was assailed by wild beasts, rushing in from all sides. A white-dressed man appeared, the beasts dispersed, and the, and the walker once more found himself on the road. Several days later, he had a similar experience and heard singing. Just before Christmas, a vicar in Caradigan reported having heard singing voices as well. Gradually the voices seemed to increase in volume, he said, until they became overpowering. He claimed they were singing in Welsh. In a letter to Reverend A.T. Fryer, the vicar of Thangadvan reported several instances of bizarre auditorial f auditory phenomena. On January 14th, a workman on his way home between 7 and 8 p.m. heard a sound similar to that caused by the vibration of telegraph wires, only much louder. A parishioner of his reported hearing a thunderclap followed by singing on the 25th, and in Sunday service on the 29th, others heard the sound of chiming bells. In Bariah G. Evans' write-up of the events in the Occult Review, he reports an event which is eerily familiar to those who have read UFO contactee lore and many other esoteric subjects as well. In the neighborhood, there dwells an exceptionally intelligent young woman of the peasant class, whose bedroom has been visited three nights in succession at midnight by a man dressed in black, whose appearance corresponds with that of the person seen by Mrs. Jones. This figure has delivered a message to the girl, which, however, she is forbidden to relate. The person seen by Mrs. Jones refers to the satanic vision that I described earlier. Several witnesses also reported visions of angels, or what would seem to be the familiar crisis apparition. In this case, the man's father appeared to him at the moment he was later to find that his father had died. People's entire countenances changed once they converted. Young people became pale, and their eyes wore a faraway, listless look. One said that for days after he had prayed, he saw 
People move like ghosts in the street, and he thought there was a thick mist. I have been struck by one girl's changed appearance during these months. Her expression has become much more gentle. Her face, previously coarse, has become quite refined. As a man expressed it to me, she has a Madonna-like face. Charles Fort chronicles many events from the period in his four books. At Flangothan, on September 2nd, 1905, something resembling, of all things, a flying pig was seen. In Lowe, he also recounts many tales of poltergeist activity, one of which came from another place that was part of the revival, a Salvation Army building in Rimney. Here, um, mysterious lights also appeared. Many individuals collapsed into a death-like trance, and a number of mysterious fires were also noted. And I'm unsure if these refer to lights or to actual blazes. I'm thinking actual fires because there were a number reported from England at the same time. The revival had spread into parts of England as well. The famed hunt for a wolf near Hexham took place during this period. Many mysterious deaths and even animal mutilations were reported in England. Most interesting, and possibly telling, is that for all the association with Mrs. Jones, the lights seemed to exist independently of her or the revival as well. A number of secular witnesses, by which I refer to ones who were not attendees of one of Mrs. Jones's prayer meetings, religious officials, or Mrs. Jones herself, had recorded sightings of the luminous phenomena. A first, partially independent sighting was made in Yenisee Bull, in the, in the Rontha Valley region previously mentioned. Although the witnesses were, reli were religious and had been at a prayer meeting just before the sighting, it was three weeks since Mary Jones had spoken in the town. Near the Robert Town Hotel, the witnesses were privy to another interesting radiant display. Firstly, there appeared in the heavens a very large and bright ball of fire. It was of a much more brilliant luster than an ordinary star, very much the color of a piece of iron, white-heated. It had two brilliant arms, which protruded toward the earth. Between these arms, there protruded a further light, or lights, resembling a cluster of stars, which seemed to be quivering with, with varying brightness. This was its form when I saw it, but others who had seen it before had noticed it growing from smaller dimensions. It lasted for ten minutes or more. The manner in which it appeared to me was, firstly, a ball of misty light in the heavens, about seven or eight inches in diameter. It was very misty when it appeared first to me. Then it got very much brighter, and as its brilliancy became indescribable, the ball grew very much larger and forming an oval shape. It quivered and glittered very much. Then there appeared to be two great long streaks of misty light coming from the ball, forming something, something like the shape drawn. These almost, almost reached the earth. On February 11th, 1905, the Evening Express reported a sighting completely divorced of the revival, stating that Police Constable Jones of Differin has, has an interesting tale to tell of how he saw the phenomenon near Differin. He had been to a conference with another constable when, a few hundred yards on the different side of Egrin Chapel, he saw a flashing light on the road. He at first thought it was a bicycle lamp, but he was soon disillusioned by seeing the light on the top of the hill on the left-hand side 
and radiating in all directions. The flash lighted up a spot as if it were midday. There rose also from the top of the wall three columns of fire of brilliant copper collar, each of them about three feet in height and about six inches wide. The constable, as befitted his occupation, boldly approached the light, which, however, suddenly disappeared. Being without superstition, nor, perhaps, devout enough to believe in supernatural phenomena, the constable inquired at the next farm whether any of the occupants had just then been out of doors with a lantern or an open lamp, but none had been, and to police constable Jones, as to many more residents of that district, the Egrin lights remain a mystery. And on the 17th of that month, the Manchester Guardian in turn made a report of a sighting of the mysterious lights. Once again, it was made by someone not connected with Mrs. Jones or her mission. Mr. R. Bowen, the station master at Towen, yesterday stated to a correspondent that he had seen in the Manchester Guardian that Mr. Beriah Evans claimed to have seen a luminous star which made a dart toward the hills of Differin and other erratic movements. The star was observed by Mr. Bowen about a month ago. It is a large, luminous body with three large sparklets emanating from it, apparently about a foot in diameter, similar to that observed around the moon. This seems to refer to a yellowish ring seen around it, and generally accepted as an indication of a coming storm. One night, it remained practically in the same position from 6.30 to 7.50 p.m. When sought for again, it had traveled in 12 minutes from a point opposite Towin to the northwest, and stood opposite, as far as he could judge, Bardsey Island. On Monday night, the star was kept under observation through a telescope by Mr. Bowen, and it traveled nearer to the land at 10.30 p.m. When opposite Harlech, as near as he could guess, it suddenly disappeared, and although watched for some time, did not reappear. The night was clear, with a frost in the air. He added that the observations here recorded were made on clear, bright, calm nights. The star is not to be seen on cloudy or wet nights. What connection the star has with Mrs. Jones's mission, Mr. Bowen did not pretend to say. He made these observations before he knew that such a connection was claimed for it. One so-called secular witness told Reverend A.T. Fryer that he had seen, on January 2, 1905, a mysterious light. It was hovering above a certain farmhouse, and appeared to me as three lamps, about three yards apart, in the shape of a Prince of Wales's feathers, very brilliant and dazzling, moving and jumping like a sea wave, under the influence of the sun on a very hot day. The light continued so for ten minutes. All my family saw it the whole time. It was 10.40 p.m. at the time. Sometime at the beginning of January as well, a young woman in the area of Differin claimed to have seen Two very bright lights about half a mile away, one a big white light, the other smaller and red in color. The latter flashed backwards and forwards, and finally seemed to become merged in the other. Then all was darkness again. It did not appear in the same place again, but a few minutes after, we saw another light which seemed to be a few yards above the ground. It now looked like one big flame, and all around, it seemed like one big glare of light. It flamed up and went out alternately for about 10 minutes, very much in the same way as some lighthouses. Reverend Fryer felt that both the witnesses were likely describing the same light display seen from different vantage points. 
On December 22, 1904, three separate witnesses saw a light about halfway from the earth to the sky on the south side of Capilegrin, and in the middle of it, something like a bottle or black person, also some little lights scattering around a large light in many colors. The light dissolved into a mist or fog and vanished. Another witness described the light as a pillar of flame, two feet wide and ten feet in height. In February, Reverend Fryer was told by a vicar in the, in the vicinity of Barmouth that a very reliable man informed me that one morning last night, on looking out through his bedroom window at about 6 a.m., he saw some remarkable lights lying, rising over the marsh, indicating a wave, bluish collar, and ascending up into the heavens and vanishing away. But he did not in any way connect the light with the revival in any shape or form. Harlech, some miles north of Egrin, had it saw its own array of luminous phenomena two centuries previous, as it was described in a local history written in 1790. A remarkable phenomenon was seen near this town in the year 1694, and it continued about the space of eight months. It was a livid vapor, or fiery exhalation, which seemed to arise from the sea on the borders of Cernarvonshire. It made its first appearance on the side of the bay, a little after sunset, and from thence spread itself in a most gradual manner, until it had set all the houses in the neighborhood on fire. Not only the ricks of hay, corn, and other forts of grain were destroyed, but also the vegetables in the gardens, for it had so noxious a smell that everything perished where it diffused its, ba its baleful influence. Its effect was severely felt by the cattle to whom it communicated a contagious distemper, by which many of them died. It made its appearance regularly every night, always rising at about the same place, nor did it stop its course, either by rain or storms. It was sometimes visible by day, but it was very remarkable that it never did any damage except in the night. The flames were in no way violent, but its continuance at last consumed everything that opposed it. And in 1875, the following was seen at Pulheli. Twelve lights at the same time, two very bright, the one red and the other blue. They emerged from swampy ground, although once they began to move about, they were not confined to the swamp. Similar lights were also seen at the mouth of the Decini River, just below Tonfanau. Several theories have been proposed over the years to explain away the lights of Egrin from swarms of luminous insects, to phosphorescence produced by decaying fish, to lights emanating from the St. Tudwall lighthouse across the bay and distorted by mist. One witness felt that the lights were produced in some oblique way by the rays of the moon. And recall that Bernard Redwood's expl explanation was simply ignited marsh gas, not innately tied to the religious goings-on in the region. On the supernatural front, there are the ideas proposed by one London newspaper reader that the lights were the astral projections of the consciousness of Mrs. Jones. In the mountains to the east of the village, the peak of, of Minnethegrin and some other nearby peaks as well are home to stone circles, ancient barrows, and ruins of various types. The waters of Cardigan Bay are said to be the location of a sunken land known as Cantrefi Gwelod, whose bells are supposed to be heard ringing from the depths on certain nights, similar to legends associated with the village of Dunwich in England. 
and with the mythical lands of Lioness and Ys, among others. But the explanation I believe to be most likely is one suggested by the village itself. Egrin means to tremble. Likely the village was named after some seismic activity, for it, as well as several other places where the lights were seen, Thonbetter and, Th- and Thonvire along- among them, lies almost directly over a north-south running fault line called the, Ma- the Matras Fault. Another, the Bala Fault, runs east to west several miles to the south. And as we have seen, ghost lights, spook lights, corpse candles, will-o'-wisps, whatever you term them, have been seen on a regular basis in the region. Earthquakes have been noted from the region just northwest of Egrin, the most recent measuring 6.5 on the Richter scale. Paul Devereux, among others, has suggested a theory of earth lights. He suggests that triboluminescence, or sparks of light caused by friction, could account for the phenomena. Michael Persinger has the similar tectonic stress theory, which proposes that it is piezoluminescence, or similar sparks created by mere pressure on the plate, that would be responsible. Essentially, Devereux's version would require some degree of actual tectonic activity, where it seems like Persinger's would technically not. And that's the end of this episode. A list of sources consulted for this episode can be found in the show description. If you have a question, a comment, or if you know a lesser-known story that you'd like to see covered, leave a comment on the podcast page, post it to our Facebook page at Forgotten Darkness Podcast, or send it to our email at ForgottenDarkness77 at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at Forgotten Darkness Podcast. And so until next episode, this is Andrew signing off.